You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. All right, what are you guys, what were you afraid of when you were kids? Somebody tell me. Demons and aliens? The dark? You're afraid of the basement? I was an adult and I was afraid of the basement. What else? All right. Huh? Needles. I think, have I, have I, told, I feel like I've told you guys, this is, but by the way, God loves you more because you're here right now. You know that, right? <laughs> you absolutely know that. Like, this is amazing. Um, I, I've told you all, like, I, I used to be afraid of E.T. Like, that was a big one. I was really afraid of E.T. Um, and like today, to this day, I still have a fear of aliens, I think, a little bit because of E.T. Um, but anyway... Uh, as adults, though, and I'm not going to make you shout these out because I think these are a little bit more serious, <laughs> a little bit more real. Uh, what are we afraid of now? I mean, um, what are we afraid of now? It's, I, uh, I was in this conversation. This conversation happened a couple, a couple of years ago, actually, but it has stuck with me. Uh, it was this physicist, and he was studying at Columbia, and he was like, you know what? We never have proof of anything. There's no proof. And he said, the second we think we have proof of something, uh, everything gets turned on its head and we realize that we never knew anything at all. And he you know, mentioned some subatomic particles and things of that nature. Um, and, and so he says, you know what? Uh, for that reason, I believe in God. He goes, because the second we think we know something, we know nothing. And that in itself is a miracle. That's what he said. And I was like, wow, you know? And then like a couple of people spoke up and a couple of people were like, that's the scariest thing I've ever heard. Like, you're telling me I, I'm not going to know. Like, I can't know everything. You're telling me I'm never going to know. And you're telling me maybe I shouldn't even try to know. Like, that's really, really scary. And I was like, wow, they're right too. Like, that, that is scary. And so for how many of us is, are we scared? Because we, we just, right now we don't know. We don't know what comes next. We don't know what the future holds. I see a couple hands. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary not to know. It's scary not to know what comes next or know what happens. That's scary. All right, you don't have to raise your hand on this one. I made you raise your hand. I promised you that before, then I made you raise your hand. Um, how many of us, our fears have to do with pain or loss or suffering? How many of us are afraid about pain, about loss, about suffering? Uh, I heard this terrible story. It's awful. A boy was playing soccer. He was seven years old and in the school cafeteria, and one of the tables was propped up, and it fell on him, and he died. That's just terrible. And not only is it terrible, but um, it scares me to death. Like, it scares me. Like, God forbid that happens to me. God forbid I would have to experience that kind of pain or that kind of suffering or that kind of loss. That's awful. Uh, about a month ago, I think everybody knows this as well, our ceiling in our house collapsed. And it collapsed in our, in our room. And I think the reason it shook us so much, our kids weren't in there, but it's that fear, right? The fear of pain or the fear of suffering or the fear that something terrible could have happened. Like we want to do whatever we can to stay away from that. God, this we can raise our hand. How many people pray that God would keep away pain, suffering, and loss? How many people pray this? Everybody, come on. If you didn't raise your hand, lying. Um, we pray that. We, we absolutely pray because it's real and it's true and, and it's the part of life that we hate more than any 
other. I think when we feel sick, right, if there's something that's not right for us, we're like, man, I should go to the doctor and I should get tested because this, there's something that's wrong and I don't want to have to deal with something that's serious. And if we do have something that's going on that's serious, you know, every day is like, okay, well, what can I do to, to di- make this dissipate or to make this go away or make it feel better or get better? And then when it doesn't get better and it doesn't go away, we end up saying something like, why? Why, God? Why am I dealing with this, this hurt? Or why did you let this person abuse me? Or why am I having to deal with abandonment in my relationship? Why do I feel like I'm alone? Why do I feel like I have to suffer this way by myself? I'm afraid. I'm scared. I'm afraid. And I think, if I'm correct, I think everyone in this room at some point or another has felt this way. I think that's probably true. Which is why we do Lent. This is why we do Lent. We do Lent because Lent is this rhythm. It's this beautiful rhythm in which we get to actually um, uh, 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 kind of face our fears. It's this rhythm where we get to actually face the, the suffering. We get to face the, um, the pain. We get to face the loss. And we get to look at it and we get to say, this is really and truly a part of life. Not only is this really and truly a part of life, um, there's a God at work in it maybe. And not only is there a God at work in it maybe, but, but if we put Lent on a timeline and we look like five, six weeks ahead, we actually get to the resurrection, which is kind of cool. So right now we're in pain, we're lost fear. It's cold. It's the coldest day in the past 22 years. That's not, on, that's not by accident. Like we celebrate Lent during this cold, dark time. But if we look ahead, we see hope. We see the resurrection. It's coming. It's right around the corner. Like, especially good news today, right? I feel like I keep putting my hand in my pocket like this because I am so cold and I'm just like standing up here. But anyway, we're going to go over the book of Job. How many people have heard of the book of Job before? How many people? We're going to do the book of Job for Lent. We're going to talk about this book. Uh, This is by far the most commented on book in all of scripture. Everybody has an opinion on the book of Job. Everybody does. It's incredible. I'll tell you why I like the book of Job. I like the book of Job because... um, uh, most scholars think it was actually written before Genesis. That's kind of cool, right? Written before Genesis. So, so basically, before people cared about how they got to earth and before people cared about the laws they needed to follow in order to have a good earth, people wanted to tackle the idea of suffering and pain and loss. Before anything else, that's what people wanted to do right? And I love this. Like, I love, to me, it's like, this is where I, like, the inspired word of God, like, God is giving us something here, like, hey, since the beginning of time, there are people that have been afraid of this stuff, that have experienced this stuff, and a lot of people are like, well, did the story happen? Did the story not happen? I don't care. God's giving us this really, really incredible story that says, like, here's what happens in the face of loss. Here's what loss looks like. Here's what pain looks like. Here's what suffering looks like. And here's our role in it. And so we're going to go through this role in, in pain and loss and suffering. And we're always going to bring it back to the fact that there is hope that comes through the miracle of the resurrection. So, we ready? You guys want to do Job? Yeah? Good. All right. Let's do it. In the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. He was blameless and upright, and he feared God and shunned evil. Pay attention to that word, feared God, okay? Pay attention. I should have highlighted it. He had seven sons, three daughters, owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, the reason they're telling you all that is because they want you to understand this is like the... Uh, you know, if we were going to tell the story modern day, we're talking about like David Zuckerberg or um, Mark Zuckerberg. David Zuckerberg's a TV exec. Mark Zuckerberg, um, 
uh, you know, Bill Gates, it's the, the, he, like, Job was the richest man in the world at the time, okay? That's what they're trying to convey to you. These, what, what, what these people had, that's outlandish. Nobody would have ever had that. That's what they're trying to say. And his sons, and so I'll keep going. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned, and curse God in their hearts. And this was Job's regular custom. All right, that word fear. Job feared the Lord and shunned evil. That's the word yare in Hebrew. Yare in Hebrew has two meanings. Meaning number one, it means reverence and awe. Fear the Lord, you fear the Lord, that means you have reverence and awe for the Lord. And the Psalms, they talk about fearing the Lord and that's the kind of way they talk about it. Think about what happens when you're sitting there and all of a sudden there's thunder and it's incredibly loud. What does everybody do? You sort of, whoa, like you jump a little bit and it's big and it's loud. That's yare, fear and awe. That's what it means to, to fear the Lord in that sense. Reverence and awe, something that's really big, something that's, you know, impressive. Then there's another way we use this word yare and that is simply fear of being punished. I am afraid that I'm going to have a consequence. I'm afraid I'm going to be punished. Now, most scholars will say the way that Job is talking about fear here, he feared the Lord is the second. They think he's saying Job feared he was going to be punished by the Lord. So that was what he was afraid of. When he fears the Lord, I'm afraid God's going to do something to me. I'm afraid something's going to happen to me. So now, when his kids go and have parties, and you know, they break out the 40s and everything else, he wants to make sure that his kids are okay. He wants to make sure that, that, um, that his kids, uh, that, that, that he's afraid of God. God, don't do anything to my kids. I'll, I'll burn these sacrifices. I'll make sacrifices. I'll, 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 I'll purify. I'll do all those things I need to do to make sure that I'm okay. That's the stance in which Job is taking. I am afraid of you, God. I'm afraid something is going to happen. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to hedge my bets. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a sacrifice. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk on eggshells. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that God uh, will not do that thing to me. Let's be honest. We talk, we've talked about this a lot in the past couple months. This is our transactional God. Here's our transactional God again. If I do this, then God will do that. You know what most people will say to me? 99% of the people I talk to, when I tell them I'm a pastor, they say, well, my goal in this world is to do more good than bad. And if I do more good than bad, then God will bless me, right? Transactional God. We believe that that transactional God is somewhere else. Transactional God is up here somewhere, and transactional God comes down and we're pieces on a chessboard, and transactional God goes, huh, they're, they just did this thing, so I'm going to move them this direction. Good for them, right? Transactional God doesn't work. Transactional God is not somewhere else. Um, I was reading this really great book, and they told a story about a World War II pilot, and he came back from the war an atheist, and they said, why are you an atheist? And he said, because I, I flew five kilometers up into the sky, and I never saw the heavens, and I never saw God. And there's something that resonates there. God is somewhere else, and we do the right thing, we stay away. We don't do the, or we stay away from bad stuff. If we don't do the right thing, bad stuff happens to us. That's what we think. It's not true. It's a lie. It's false. It doesn't work. And yet, that's how I operate. Let's be honest, that's how we operate. God, if I just stay out of trouble this way, then, then, I'll, then I'll be good. God, if I, if I just make sure I pray enough, then then I probably don't have to have fear over being hurt because you're not going to bring that to me, right? Because I'm praying enough, right? 
We've talked about this a ton. There's one thing I want our church to know is that God is not somewhere else. God is not somewhere else. God is here with us, amongst us. And then God is working within our fear and God is working within our suffering and our pain and our loss. And that, that might just be the miracle. That might be it. Now, it's tough for us to see God here. Um, but it's scriptural. We, uh, uh, there's this guy, right? And he tricks his brother into giving him an inheritance for a bowl of food. And so once the brother finds out, he starts to chase him. And so this guy, his name's Jacob, he goes into the wilderness. And when he goes into the wilderness, uh, he meets this man. Or maybe it was an angel. Or maybe it was God. Or maybe it was a ghost. And he fights this man. This man hurts him. Hits him in the hip. Guy walks with a limp the rest of his life. He falls asleep on a pillow made of a rock. And when he wakes up, Jacob says, Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. God's not somewhere else. God's with us here. Do we know it? Um, There's this group of people and they're trying to figure out what was the best way to live. And if they follow the right laws, they would have eternal life. And so they go to Jesus because Jesus is around. And they're like, Jesus, listen, these are the laws we want to follow to make sure that we have eternal life and and to make sure that we live in paradise. Is that right? And and Jesus goes, "Uh, no, it's not right. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. What's he saying? People are going, wait, I never saw you. You weren't ever there. And Jesus goes, no, I'm here working in and among you. And yet you do not know. You do not know I'm here. And so maybe what's happening right now, maybe what we need to know today is that there's not a God somewhere else that comes down and strikes us with pain and loss and hurt when we do the, right, the wrong thing. That's not what's happening. There's a God that's here that is doing what this physicist said, turning things upside down all the time and creating absolute miracles out of our suffering and our pain and our hurt and our loss. Don't fear. Do not fear. Way easier said than done. Way easier said than done. So here's the thing. If God's really at work, right? If God's really, really at work, and if God's really at work in the midst of all these painful things that we're dealing with, right? And if God's really, really here, then maybe we need to start switching a few things up. Maybe we need to see things differently. Maybe when we say, huh, that was a blessing from God, maybe what we should be saying is, huh, that was the first time I had eyes to see God was here the whole time. Maybe that's what we start to do. Maybe instead of saying, God, where are you? Uh, I, I don't know why I'm going through this. Maybe we say, God, give me the eyes to see because you're right here next to me working in this. I just need the eyes to see it. Maybe that's the switch. And if that's the switch, then there's a couple things we need to understand about suffering. There's a couple things we need to understand about this pain and this loss and this hurt. There's a couple things. And, and number one, the first thing we need to understand is if this is going to be a real world where God's actually at work in it, then there's got to be free will. And if there's got to be free will and if there's got to be freedom, it means there's got to be freedom to hurt. It means there's got to be freedom to suffer. It means there's got to be freedom to feel broken. That's what it means. It means if God's at work and God says, you know what, you're not some pawn in a chessboard that I move back and forth and do all this stuff with, then there's brokenness. There's the freedom for brokenness. There's the freedom for God to say, I'm more going to work in this brokenness. That's the number one thing. The second thing, who told us? Who told us that God was going to stop suffering from happening to us? 
Who told us that suffering wasn't going to happen? Who told us that pain wasn't going to happen? Who told us that? It's a lie. Why are we shocked when it doesn't go our way? I think because we live in America. <laughs> I think that's why. I think if we live someplace else, something where, where things don't go our way all the time, maybe we'd have a better understanding. But we were never promised to be okay. You know what we were promised? That this miracle was going to happen. This miracle was going to happen. That God was going to work in our pain. That the miracle is going to be that God is going to work in the suffering. The miracle is going to be that God is going to work in the places we least expect God to work. God's not somewhere else. God's here in it, changing it, reconciling it. That's what it is. Um, our church started three years ago. And, and Sandy hit. And after Sandy hit, there was like a break for me of, a, of about a month. And after about a month, uh, my dad flew into New York my dad came to my house and my dad said, Jonathan, there's something I have to tell you. Uh, I'm, trans- I'm tra- transgendered. And my dad said, I'm going to start living my life as a woman and I'm going to transition to a woman. And theology aside, because I'm not even going to talk about theology right now, uh, I was broken. This is my best friend. This is my hero, the person I admire. I had no clue, no clue whatsoever this was going to happen, None. This was somebody I talked to just about every single day and I was devastated. I felt abandoned. Like, is this, um, how come, you know, is this a lie? Is my whole life a lie? I would come to church on Sunday and I would stand up here and I'd feel like I had no energy to talk to anybody or tell anybody anything. Like, like, man, everything I thought to be true is no longer true. I, I wondered if God existed. God, do you exist? Because this just happened to me. This happened to me in my life. Um, did I do something wrong? Did my dad do something wrong? Maybe if my dad had a little bit more strength, this, this wouldn't have happened. I, you know, the questions just flow, right? They flow. And I think for the better part of 18 months, two years, I had nothing. I had nothing. And that pain's real. That pain is real. And we're going to talk about that real pain. We're going to talk about it next week a little bit more. We're going to talk about your real pain and my real pain. But I want to tell you about the miracles. Today I want to tell you about the miracles. I want to tell you about how three years later I have eyes to see God at work in that situation the entire time. I want to tell you about the wisdom I have because of it. I want to tell you the fact that I think we are a better church, for real, because there's wisdom that comes from going through great hurt and great pain. There's wisdom that comes from it. We're a better church. I want to tell you how gracious God is and how much I am loved by God and accepted by God, how much my dad is loved and accepted by God, more so than I ever thought ever in a million years, and that's happening right now, and I wouldn't have known that unless I went through this. I wanna tell you about the people I've met, incredible people who have stories about God at work in them. I wanna tell you about uh, the fact that God uh, does miracles in relationship reconciliation, which is what he's doing right now with me and my dad, where friends again for the first time in as long as I can remember and, and there's relationship recon- reconciliation that's a miracle I want to tell you how God continues over and over again to show up in the midst of my pain and my suffering and says hey I'm not just coming down and putting my hand down here Jonathan and messing with your dad and messing with you and messing with your church I'm up to something and it's divine and it's life changing not just for me not just for my dad for all of us And that's the good news.
That's the good news. Do not fear. There's a God at work. All right, you got this tag. And if I'm a betting man, I'm going to bet that I'm not the only person that has felt pain and hurt. I put a million bucks on that. And maybe right now it's hard to see uh, how God might be working uh, to bring something up out of the ashes in your life. Maybe you have some sort of pain. I don't know what your pain looks like. Maybe it's like little tiny pain. You stubbed your toe on the way in. Thank you, Leslie, for laughing. <laughs> Maybe it's big pain. Maybe you're fighting something terminal. Maybe you feel abandoned. Maybe you're dealing with abuse. Maybe there's an addiction. Maybe there's something. I don't know what it is. I can only tell you this. We can name it. We can put it right on this, this paper. And when you come up to take communion later, when we come up to like remember that there's hope that comes after all this, I want you to put that tag with that pain on it, that fear on it, that loss on it, whatever it is, I want you to put it on this tree. Just hang it here. And just hang it right on this tree anywhere you want. And all we're going to do today is be reminded that that thing that hangs right there on that tree, God's working on it, doing something with it. Not way over there, down here with us. And we're just going to pray during communion that God would give us the eyes to see. So will you guys go ahead and you can write right now if you want to write. I'm going to go ahead and pray if you want to close your eyes. And then I'm going to invite you to come up and take communion and put that thing on this tree. And let the prayer be that God, help me not to fear. Help me know you are working on this. Let's pray.